Well, we are officially uh, transitioning into the fall uh, series for, uh, we're going to be studying Romans 12 through 16, the end of the book of Romans. We spent a little bit longer time in Elijah and Elisha, and then of course last week we said goodbye to Pastor Bryant. Uh, So now we are transitioning in our study to Romans 12 to 16. We spent some time in Romans last year, for those of you that were with us, uh, particularly looking at chapter 6 to 8, emphasizing the power of the Holy Spirit that is promised to us by the mercies of God. It's part of what Paul is talking about here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he says, uh, in view of God's mercy. Uh, there is a great, great, uh, great description of the mercy of God in the first 11 chapters of Romans. But let's not forget that the, the Roman letter came to the Roman Christians uh, as they gathered, not in a church building with a couple hundred people, but as they met in small groups, in, in homes, households, maybe even down in the catacombs of Rome. Uh, some of you know that. And, and they would read this letter, have this letter read to them, And they would be thinking of all that it was saying that was true about their life and then all that it was asking them to do. Uh, And so I want us to to sort of put ourselves in that place. So here we are, not just as individuals, but as the people of the cross, the people of the resurrection. And and this letter then comes to us and and it tells us how to live. That's, uh, many of you know that oftentimes in Paul's letters, there is, you know, we see it very clearly in Ephesians. The first three chapters are sort of doctrine, and then chapters four to six are application uh, of that. Like, how do we live that out? We have it very clearly here in Romans. The first 11 chapters, he, he sort of builds the case, and then chapters 12 to 16, he gives us practical application of that. And I would argue, uh, as we look at Romans, that the practical application is the point. Like Paul gave us the doctrine to ground the application, but the application was why he wrote the letter. Like he wrote that letter for the Romans that they would be generous, that they would participate with him in his missionary endeavors, uh, that they would be inclusive as a community of Jews and Gentiles, uh, slaves and free men and women, all of these things. We talked about that a little bit last year, but that was the point why Paul wrote Romans. And then he grounds it in what is true, the doctrine part, the first 11 chapters. So I I gave you sort of a a little description of Romans as I see it. Uh, Romans is a call to subversive generosity, hospitality, and grace-filled living in the face of an empire that would coerce conformity to its image. So this was Rome. This was the headquarters of the empire. This is where the emperor lived. You worshipped the emperor. The emperor was part of the guild. He was on your coins. He he was everywhere. The pantheon, Jupiter, Zeus, uh, Aphrodite, Venus, all of these gods and goddesses all throughout. uh, And they wanted you to conform to their image. Uh, But Paul is writing a letter to the Christians in the catacombs and the households uh, as a group of diverse people, Jews and Gentiles, slaves and frees. And he's saying, no, 
God has given you a path and a program that your life ought to look like, and it should challenge the empire. Why do we do that, though, and how do we do that? The call is based on and powered by the renewing mercies of God, which he has lavished on us without merit on our part. So we are going to dive into that, and, and Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the hinge like the first 11 chapters, mercies of God, laying out what God has done for us. Chapters 12 to 16, the reason why Paul wrote the book is so that we would be living lives that challenge the empire uh, in very subversive ways, ways that were difficult in those days, and they are going to be ways that, that challenge us today as well to think about our lives and how they get lived out. So let's read these first two verses, and then we will dive in. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for this word. We ask now that you would open our eyes and our hearts, that you would help us to... Um, to not only hear the words, not, not only notice the lyrics, but, but Lord, help us to, to feel the rhythm of this text, uh, to, to understand its music. And, and Lord, we do pray that you would help us to, to be a dancing people. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a big text. Uh, it's big mercy. It's big mission. I mean, that's, that's really the summary of Romans right there. Big mercy leads to, to big mission. So I want to keep it big this morning. And uh, we'll walk through this by looking at the, the big, uh, what did I call it? Oh yeah, the big picture, then the big promise, and then... It's only the third time I've done this. You'd think I've had this down by now, but uh, the big picture, the big promise, and then finally, uh, the big project that God gives us. I've already alluded to the big picture. The way that this stands is it stands at the Janus. Do you guys know Janus? Janus is the Roman god that looks forward and backwards. It's where we get our word January for. We send out the, the old year and we ring in the new year. Uh, so this 12, 1 and 2 is the Janus of this text. It, it looks back to everything that has come. That's the therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, you always ask, What's it there for? Uh, and, and it's there in order to teach, you know, to remind us that what Paul is about to start explicating is based on what he has already uh, given to us, what he's already explained. And this is the, the story of the gospel. It's the story of salvation. It's the story that goes back to chapters 1 and 3 and reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether you are a, a pagan who is actively suppressing God in your heart and in your mind, 
or Paul says, and this was really shocking, uh, whether you are a religious person that does not have Jesus Christ as your Lord. You can be very moral, you can be very upright, you can be doing a sacrifice, you can be doing all of these different things, and you can be missing the whole thing. You can be missing the the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And so therefore Paul says in Romans 3, 23, all have sinned both in our religiosity as well as in our secular paganism, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we're dependent on, Romans 4, a righteousness from God that exists by faith through faith, that it exists to people who recognize that they cannot uh, secure their own salvation, but we are dependent upon God. And it's when we receive that and we rest on that righteousness, then we have Romans 5 verse 1, we have peace with God through Christ. Christ who came while we were still sinners, Romans 5 verse 8, uh, and he died for us while we still were rebelling against him. It's amazing stuff. And then Romans 6 to, uh, 6 to 8, we, we begin to see what life by the Spirit looks like as, we, as Christ died for us and we receive that sacrifice on our behalf. The Spirit comes, takes up residence within us. Uh, Paul says, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. You are new creations. You no longer live by the law, but by the Spirit who is life within us. Uh, Romans 7, Paul wrestles with, you know, the good that I would do, I don't do, but the evil that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Uh, But then he comes back to the truth and he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus. He, he celebrates these, these truths that are in him. And he starts out Romans chapter 8 by saying, there is no condemnation uh, in Christ Jesus, for we have been set free uh, by Christ's work. In our... So these are the mercies of God. And this is what Paul is saying Here is, you know, we're going to transition. We're going to talk about what it looks like to submit to your governing authorities. We're going to talk about what it looks like to love those uh, who are the weaker brothers and sisters. We're going to talk about a life of radical generosity and hospitality. And these things are going to be really hard. They're going to be really challenging in an empire. But they are possible because of what God has done. They are not only possible, but they are to be expected for people who are no longer their own, but they've been remade uh, after the image of Christ. So, in view of God's mercies, he says, uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, and it's interesting, Paul says brothers. That, that, that's the generic term for connecting. Brothers and sisters would be a, a good way to translate that. Uh, but he identifies with the people. And this is one of the things that you got to love about Paul. You know, God uses writers of the scriptures who aren't just sort of uh, theological heads on a, on a stick, right, uh, who are filled with doctrine. I mean, Paul, Paul really knows the mercies of God. I mean, what does he say in 1 Timothy? You know, 
this is a trustworthy saying in his full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. You know, Paul was a, 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 a Pharisee. He was religious to the point of trusting in himself. He was a zealot. He was on a genetic uh, ethnic cleansing program, trying to get rid of folks. I mean, Paul was the worst of the worst. As we think about some of the things that, that we despise, even in our culture, Paul was those things. Uh, he was racist in that way. He was those things. That's why he can say with all, uh, with all sincerity, I, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet he can come and say, in view of God's mercy, there's an authenticity and an authority to it. It's one of the reasons why we have uh, confession as a regular part of our liturgy. You know, some of some people say, well, why do you do that? You know, aren't, aren't you saved? Shouldn't you just continue to be looking at the mercy of God? Well, yes, absolutely. And we always want to come back to that. But we never want to forget you know, just how much we need the Savior. You know, as we see that in our lives week by week, we are connected to and it brings authenticity to our gospel uh, proclamation. The diamond shines brightest against the black cloth. And, and so we continue to recall these things, not that we would grovel in them, but that we would say, isn't it amazing this grace that we have been given. There's a story uh, about uh, Father Damien, and, and he was a missionary to a leper colony in Molokai, uh, Hawaii in the 19th century, so this is the 1800s. Uh, this is leprosy as we often think of it, Hansen's disease, where your nerve endings die and you, you may lose fingers or toes or even arms. Um, and uh, he was there, beloved for, for many years, and uh, he would preach to the community. He was in and among them day by day. And uh, he would always start out his sermons, you know, by saying, my, my fellow believers. One day he was preparing to preach, and he was in his apartment, and he was getting his tea ready for the morning. And he, he was pouring this boiling hot water uh, into his cup, and he missed his cup, and uh, the, a large portion of the water fell on his foot. He knew it fell on his foot because he saw it, but what he didn't notice was that he felt it. And so he had a premonition, and he took the water, and he poured it on his foot, and sure enough, he couldn't feel anything. And so that morning, he went into the chapel, and he uh, got ready to preach to the people, but this time he had tears streaming down his face, and he started his sermon by saying, my fellow lepers, let us hear of the grace of God. 
There's an authenticity and a love that Paul has when he says brothers and sisters because he knows that we all need that gospel that is given to us in these first 11 chapters. And, and I would encourage you, I'd invite you, if that's not something you've ever tasted of or really experienced in your life, that, that there's a real invitation there. I, I know we all come at different points in the journey. I know we come... Uh, sometimes with doubts and struggles like Asaph, our, our feet slip. Uh, we see the prosperity of the wicked. We hear the cultural narratives and we wonder, you know, can it be true? Is there really hope for me or for us? And uh, the reality is, yeah, there is. And, and that's what Paul is testifying to and he's inviting us into it. But then he wants to push us on. He doesn't want us to just stay there as sort of, if I can say it, sort of merely converted Christians. Now, one of the great tragedies of our time and place is just how individualized our, our Christianity has become. You know, we come to something like Romans and we think it's great for personal devotions, and, and, it, and it is. But it's a letter to a community, and, and Paul wants us to be a people that really challenges the empire, that really shows forth the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember back in Romans 1, it's gospel, 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 and it's always the gospel of Jesus Christ as opposed to the gospel of the emperor, the emperor which was a very common word for them. Uh, but Paul wants us to, to be a people that stands forward. And the, the way that we do that is through the big promise uh, that is here in this passage. It's a little bit difficult to see, but I, I think it's there. And, and if you look closely, you recognize it. So Paul says, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, uh, by the mercies of God or in view of Christ's mercies to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. Uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind uh, so that by testing you can discern and approve the will of God. That phrase, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, how do you read that? Do you see that coming into your world as an imperative? Like that's the command that Paul is giving us. We need to transform ourselves uh, by renewing our mind. Uh, I think that is oftentimes how we sort of experience that or, or feel that. And so maybe we say, all right, I've got to really read, study all of these different things. And this will be part of the project of, of transformation and renewal that God has for me. But that's not exactly the way that phrase uh, reads or is. Notice, you know, it is, you know, first of all, renewal is not something that we do. It's a noun. You know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's a thing that is happening to you or has happened to you. If we go back into Romans, you know, Paul says, reckon yourself or consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ. Alive to Christ. There's a renewal that has happened in your life. As you are united with Christ, the Holy Spirit works in your life, you are renewed and are being renewed day by day by day. And you can't do anything about it. This is the Spirit's work 
in your life. The renewal belongs to the Spirit. And then he says, be transformed. Allow this to happen to you. It's passive. It's not transform yourself. It's be transformed by the renewing of your mind or the renewal of your mind. So how do we understand this? Again, I, I think this is so important, and we've talked about this before. We talked about it when we studied Colossians. Uh, you know, in Colossians, Paul will say things like, walk by the Spirit, and then at other places, he'll say, stand in the Spirit. And you're like, well, which is it, Paul? Do you want us to walk in the Spirit, or do you want us to stand in the Spirit? And the answer is, yes. I want you to do both. We even said back when we studied Colossians, I want you to walk by standing. Uh, And and it's this concept of active passivity, uh, which is a term that Francis Schaeffer coined, where he said, "We, we have to understand that our Christian life, we make progress not by our own effort, but by making ourselves available, as it were, for the Spirit to work in our life. Martin Luther used the illustration of the ground. He said, if you look at the ground, uh, it's just there. It lies there. Uh, it, It receives the sun. It receives the nitrates from the lightning. It it receives the rain at the different times. Uh, it, 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 It doesn't do anything. It's just there receiving. But then as a result of that, it, it works. There's, a, there's an activity in the ground where, you know, these grass blades can take root and sprout up and, and the, you know, the water-eating plants in a rain garden can sprout and uh, the trees come and they're nourished. There, there's a vitality to it. it. It's sort of actively passive at the same time. Uh, Schaefer uses the illustration of Mary and the Holy Spirit promised to her that she would bear a child. Angel Gabriel comes and says, you are going to bear this child. And she says, let it be to me as the Lord has said. Now, she can't do anything about producing that child in her womb. Uh, in fact, this is the, the virgin birth. I mean, she, she does nothing except making herself available for the Holy Spirit to work that transforming work in her life. And this is exactly what Paul is calling us to. And this is why this is such a transition point. When you believe the truths that Paul has laid out in the first 11 chapters of Romans, you are united to the Spirit. This is your spiritual reality. Uh, You are united to Christ by means of the Holy Spirit. You cannot, as a believer, be more united to Christ than you are right now. It it will not happen. Uh, You are as fully sanctified now, made holy, as you ever will be. And Paul says, allow that renewal that he is doing, that that is taking place by his power. (coughs) Sorry. Allow that renewal to transform you. Uh, And and so we, like the ground, make ourselves available uh, to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. I mean, we, we say this is consistent. When we talk about what, what do we talk about in Galatians 5, 
uh, 20 to 22. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit. So it's the fruit that the Spirit produces in my life. I, I cannot make myself joyful or patient or peaceful or long-suffering or any of those things. I, I can't do it. I try. I, I really do. I, I try to make myself more gentle. Uh, I would love to be a more gentle person, uh, but I, I can't do it. But I do believe that as I make myself available to the Holy Spirit, as I allow the Spirit to work in my heart, things like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the, these things will come in my life. So, I need to keep pressing into the truths that God gives me. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. As we make the turn, as we, you know, step into the Janus, you know, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Uh, live day by day pressing into the truths of God's promises. Here's how Schaefer says it. He says, we must believe God's promises at the at this moment in which we are, in believing God's promises, we apply them, the present meaning of the work of Christ for the Christian, for and in this one moment. As we believe the promises, we apply them. If you can see that, everything changes, Schaefer says. As we believe God, as we believe God for this moment, the Holy Spirit is not quenched and is at work in our life. And through the Holy Spirit's agencies, the risen and glorified Christ, as the bridegroom of the vine, bride, the vine himself, he brings forth his fr fruit through us at this moment. This is the practice of active passivity, and it is the only way anybody can live. There's no other way to live but moment by moment. I hope, I've spent a little bit of time on that. I hope that is really clear to you um, it, because it does change everything. Your number one thing in life is moment by moment to believe the promises of God and step into them, rest into them, and allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your life. Your job is not to produce the joy. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But your job is to believe that the Holy Spirit will produce the joy. Do you see the difference in that? Uh, and, and to really step into that and rest into that. Now, that's not to say, you know, there is sort of an activity to this. And, and this is what Paul says in a couple of different ways. Uh, so this is our big project, right? So we have the big picture, the grace of God. The big promise is that it is ours. We are transformed by the renewal of our mind. Uh, the big project is for us to be these living sacrifices uh, that don't conform to the world, that test and that approve the will of God or discern the will of God. Let me take that in two different ways. So don't be conformed to this world, but rather we are to con be conformed to the will of God and we are to test and discern the will of God, that good, perfect, and pleasing thing. A couple of observations for you. So remember, Paul is writing to the church in the empire. 
and they are being pressed into the mold of the world. I think that's how um, Eugene Peterson uh, translates this verse in the message. He says, don't let the world press you into its mold. Uh, so they're being pressed into this mold. And, and, and Paul says, no, don't, don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into the, the mold. But how are we going to know what we are to look like? Well, we, we test and discern the will of God, the good, perfect, pleasing, acceptable, perfect, true truth that God gives us. And this was challenging then because it was a very syncretistic society. You, you could believe the Romans actually let the Jews carry on with their religion, but then you also had to adopt the emperor cult, and then you would also adopt uh, the pantheon. So you would have, you know, guilds would have various gods. So it was very syncretistic. You could believe all sorts of things. Uh, and that's exactly the same type of society that we live in now. Like there, there are all sorts of things that you can believe, never mind the fact that many of them are directly contradictory to each other, but just be accepting. Believe everything. That's sort of the mold that the world wants to push us into. But what Paul is saying is no, there is actually a line. There is a truth, there's a will of God that we are to be conformed to, and we are to understand that. We're to seek that out. We are to put ourselves under that. We are to be subject to the will of God, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So again, this is very countercultural, both then and now. I mean, now we live in this Disney world, right, where we find our truth inside of ourselves, uh, we, we recognize our truth. We even have that phrase, well, I've got to speak my truth. Uh, well, what does that mean exactly? You know, what Paul is saying is that there is a, and again, that's Schaefer's term, a true truth in this world. And that is what we're called to seek out and to align ourselves to this true truth in the world. This is why you know, when we talk about something like justice, we, we mean something with that. Like there is a biblical view of justice. God lays that out for us. And so it's not sort of some willy-nilly undefined concept, uh, which I'm really glad about, right? I, I see so many people throwing around the term justice, but I never know exactly what they mean because they're not lining up against the standard that God uses in his word. And so this is what Paul says. Part of your big project is to test and to discern the will of God. Now that does mean that as individuals and as a community, we need to be in the word of God. I wrote to you a little bit about this in, in the Friday letter. Um, we want you, you know, part of our job as the church, church staff, elders, deacons, others, is to make sure that you uh, have opportunities to be discipled in the Word of God. Now, we can't make you do it. Uh, you have got to cooperate in this process. Um, uh, we can lead a horse to water, but can't make them drink, so to speak. Uh, but there are offerings that are available. We decided even for this series that we wanted to 
really soak in these words that God is giving us. So I, I study with a group of people each week. It's our sermon study team. They commit to reading the scriptures and reading some commentaries and we come together, talk about it. I, I really love it. It's a great way for me to, to study and learn and hear from different perspectives, get different insights. But for five days, for each uh, each week, we're going to put together a, a devotional that really zeroes in on part of this text. And you can keep it with you then throughout the week and kind of uh, take it a step further. I know we have a devotional book, uh, but this will be something that is relatively short, but you can just keep the Word of God with you and sort of suck on it like that hard candy and get all the juices out of it that you can and allow the spirit to work in your life. We have great Bible studies going on uh, for women, for men, uh, our high schoolers who are out on retreat this weekend are studying the Word of God together in community. And that's really important. You know, the Bible isn't just a personal devotion book. In fact, this letter was written to a community meant to be studied in community. So this is an invitation. Find yourself a community, whether it's a C group. Uh, we've been talking about C groups and getting involved there, coming together studying the Word of God, praying, testing, discerning what is His good, perfect, pleasing will. A Bible say, I'm so encouraged. You know, I know the women have had record numbers of people sign up for their Bible studies uh, this fall. So we need to be doing this. This is part of the call. This is what Paul is saying to us. And it's really important because we're going to be challenged in the coming chapters and verses. And the last thing is this, uh, I will just note here, is that our big project is so big that it demands all that we are. You, you really capture this when Paul says, you know, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Uh, the, the shocking thing for the first century was what? Does anybody have an idea? Like what would shock the first century when they heard that term? It wasn't sacrifice because they were used to that. Whether you were a Jew or a, a Gentile, I mean, they were, they were always sacrificing. Mystery religions, lots of sacrifices. Living sacrifice is a little bit of a contradiction. That's a, a paradox. Like, what does he mean by that? But the real shock was when Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Because you have to remember that, you know, the Romans brought in law, justice, uh, a good... Uh, a good infrastructure, roads, all of that. But the Greeks still dominated culture. And the Greeks were very dualistic in the way that they approached the world. There was a sacred and there was a secular. There was a spiritual and there was a fleshly. And, and it didn't matter what you did in the body so long as the spirit was correct. So this is why, you know, they had uh, just crazy sexual mores in that day. I mean, orgies and uh, homosexuality, pederasty, all of this was very acceptable because the background to that was it didn't matter what you did with your body. Uh, you, you could do whatever you wanted as long as you had your spirit in the right place. But that is not 
what the scriptures say. The scriptures tell us that we are 100% created in the image of God. And we are to present our bodies, the totality of who we are, our minds, our emotions, our physicality, all of that, to present that to God. And it's to be a living sacrifice. A, a living killing is the literal translation of what this is. So day after day, we are to keep coming back. You know, the, the old sort of preacher saying is that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it continually crawls off the altar. And, and that's the idea here. I was thinking about it in terms of a zombie. Like as Christians, we, we, we can't be killed, right? Because we are living sacrifices. We are people of the resurrection. And, and Jesus right now sits at the right hand of the Father bodily. He is ascended into heaven with his body and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And this is what Paul is calling us to be and to do. We are to commit 100% uh, of who we are into this project of subverting the empire. You know, and I love the fact that it is our bodies, that it's incarnational. You, you think about the truths of the gospel, you know, or the story of the Bible. We think about the incarnation of Jesus. We think about his death, resurrection. Those are all physical things. And, and our job, our call as Christians is to engage physically in the world that we are to, so we're not just to talk about concepts of mercy or justice, but we are to be engaged in those things with our bodies. We are not just to talk about, uh, you know, a, a gospel that will get us to a disembodied heaven. You know, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Like, this is where we're going. And so what Paul is saying is a big mission, right? It's a big project uh, that is going to demand the totality of who we are. <clears throat> I don't know exactly where you are on your journey. You know, I've said a couple of times throughout the course of the, the morning that I, I recognize that, you know, some of you are, are, are sort of the grizzled veterans of Christianity, uh, and, and you've accepted these things, you've been walking with them, you've seen some of the highs and the lows. Uh, it doesn't mean it ever gets easy, because I, I think as I go on in the years and in the decades, it's probably one of the things I realize uh, more than anything, is that it, it never gets easy. Uh, but there's a solidity to where you are in your walk with the Lord, and you believe it and you trust it. For others of you, and, and I know uh, for many people, even if you've grown up in the church, you know, deconversion is a com uh, sort of a conversation that is taking place among the church. And you have a number of people that are writing about their deconversion experiences even right now. We wrestle. You know, like Asaph, our, our, my foot had almost slipped for I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And we wonder, you know, can this really, really uh, hold up? Well, Paul, as one who is the chief of sinners, is inviting us into this story. Did you notice that? You know, Paul was, a, was the authority in the church, you know, one of the apostles. He could have commanded the Roman Christians to do these things, but he doesn't say that. He says, I, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I, I appeal to you. 
Paul is laying out sort of a uh, an invitation. He says, "I'm a beggar, and I found bread, and I want to show you where you, another beggar, can find bread. And I am inviting you. I urge you. I appeal to you by the mercy of God, my fellow lepers. Will you come, and will you find grace?" in the true truth of who Jesus is, what He's done. And will you then, therefore, participate in this full-bodied, living sacrifice, testing and discerning the will of God life that we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank You for Your mercy and grace and for what they mean for us day by day, hour by hour, week by week. Lord, we pray that you would meet each person here uh, individually, uh, that we would know the mercies of God. Lord, I, I pray for that. I pray that you would meet us as a community collectively. Um, Father, as we dive into these chapters, uh, there is going to be a way of life laid out for us that really will challenge the narratives that our culture lives by. I mean, more and more, we are going to look like the weirdos and uh, the outcast and people that just are out of sync with what's going on around us. Lord, will you give us courage? Uh, will you give us a, a winsomeness to be able to say, but let me show you uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you the reasonableness of living by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, for in it, you will find life and joy and peace and happiness and all of these things that you're longing for but the world can't give. So, Father, we pray that you would do this in our midst, uh, both today and throughout the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.